Hello, it's Shelley F. Knight, bringing you Positive Changes, a self-kick podcast. So today on the show, we're joined by Emma Nottage, and she's a primary school teacher and a private music tutor. So a big warm welcome to Emma. Thank you, Shelley. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Bless you. Now, I think we're in for quite an emotional time today. Like when you reached out to me, you really got to my heartstrings. So please do share your journey with us. Okay, well, today, Shelley, I'm here to share my story about um, my journey through um, a condition that is quite unknown um, and sort of my triumph over that onwards. Um, But the condition that we're going to talk about today is tocophobia which is a chronic fear, uh, like debilitating, morbid fear of pregnancy and childbirth. It actually comes from the Greek for child, toko, but it is specifically about pregnancy and particularly childbirth. Um, But I'll just go sort of back to childhood, maybe to start with. For context, um, you know, I, I grew up in a really lovely family, um, wonderful parents. I've got an older brother and sister. Um, my brother's actually 13 years older than me, and my sister's 10 years older than me, but we are full siblings. And um, so I grew up sort of as the baby, as the younger one, and I was quite sheltered. Um, but I had a great relationship with my family. And um, growing up, you know, I had dolls and I used to play how you do with prams and things like that. But the whole concept of pregnancy and childbirth really, really scared me. And when I used to watch television programs, you know, like in the soaps, whenever they had people giving birth, it was always very noisy and um, it's quite dramatic. And, you know, that really triggered a response in me that was fear. And um, sort of all through childhood, teenage years, that was a really big feeling. And, so much so that I always wanted to adopt children because I thought I can't, I can't go through with having a baby, but I am somebody that loves children and has a real maternal sort of character. Um, So it was that juxtaposition of really having a fear, but wanting to be a mum. So I always wanted to adopt. Um, And yeah, I can't, I can't. The actual fear was so debilitating. It it would raise panic in me. 
and um, sort of going on to growing up and university time, um, I actually got my first boyfriend when I was at university. You know, a lot of people would say, oh, that's quite late starter. But, you know, I don't think we sort of should think like that because we're all different. Yeah. But yeah, I had two relationships at university, but, um, you know, not to be too personal, but they, <laughs> they, they, weren't, they, they weren't ever sort of going that far. Yeah. But probably partly because I had fear about being intimate. Um, but then I met my now husband and, um, we, we got on really, really well and we understood each other really, really well. Um, we both actually share a Christian faith. So that, that's important to me. Um, I, I'd, I'd become a Christian when I was 21, actually, when I was at university. Um, but yeah, my husband had a Christian faith as well. And um, when we got married, it was wonderful, you know, to have this almost fairy tale like every girl dreams of. But um, early married life was quite stressful in as much that I freaked out so much about getting pregnant. Um, I would, you know, instantly think something had happened and I almost couldn't breathe. I, I'd just be so scared. And for our early married life, we did actually use protection all the time because of my fear. And um, my husband is a lovely man and he loves children as well. He's got that paternal instinct in him. And, um, you know, I felt really bad for him. Um, it, but I, I wasn't sort of forthcoming to, you know, do that, to be a mum. And um, yeah, it was, it was hard. But one day, and this was probably about six or seven years into our marriage, I just had to open up about what a big thing this was for me and it was kind of admitting it to myself first of all and then I shared it with my husband and then I actually shared it with my parents and that was like the first time that I'd actually voiced it to them I mean when I had been younger when I was a teenager my dad doesn't remember this now, but I, I remember, I remember when I was saying, oh, I can't do it. It's disgusting. It's horrible. I remember my dad saying to me back then, Emma, you know, how, how can you say that? Because that's how 
humanity continues. That's how the human race carries on. But I remember thinking at that time, oh, he doesn't understand. He, he's a man, you know, he doesn't yeah. have to go through this. Um, anyway, so going forward again to this point of realisation and knowing I had to confront it. Um, my husband realised how big an issue it was for me and he started to see how adoption could be a way for us and it had never been his ideal but he came round to that and we kind of had a plan then but this is where you know life is strange yeah <laughs> and we we went to an adoption agency and we were having a meeting with an adoption counsellor there and um, the counsellor it was a gentleman he said a couple of things that pricked my sort of conscious and the first one was um, you know we like you to have stopped trying for a baby for about six months beforehand because you know it's to prove you're ready kind of thing and I thought I don't know something clicked in me and then again a bit later he said if you do adopt we can't police this but ideally we like families to wait then about two years maybe before having a baby of their own trying to because it's to do with bonding and I quite understand um, you know because sadly there are cases in adoption where people have sort of signed up to it and got so far but then have fallen pregnant and then kind of said no we don't want to go through with it now but you know uh, that 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 has happened and that is something but I I know that I would never do that just because I care about children so much but this alarm bell clicked in my head then and it was like but I want to try and it was the first time that for me Although I loved children, I'd never got to that point of feeling I love it so much that I can conquer this fear. But suddenly I had that feeling. And this then started another journey onwards, which, um, first of all, my husband and I talked to some friends of ours Um, And they put us in touch with a Christian counselling couple, a man and his wife, um, to sort of talk things through with them, both of us. And we did that for a few weeks. Um, The wife had actually been a midwife in um, Africa for many years. And she had wonderful stories about 
women um, who were able to sort of walk around in labour. Um, because one of my things is I'd always as well been, had a fear of hospitals, um, anything medical. I'm still not good with needles. Um, and all those sort of things had that similar <gasps> panic in me. So the, one of the thoughts was, if you're in labour and you have to be constrained to being, you know, in bed and all of those sort of things, that was scary to me. But, but she was sort of saying, oh, it doesn't have to be like that. And um, another really useful thing that they did was they got my husband and I to interview our own families, like privately, about um, experiences of pregnancies and birth stories in our own families. And we both learnt things that we'd never known before. There were some quite triggering things in my mum's birth stories. And this kind of, you know, got me thinking, oh, maybe there were things I picked up on when I was young. Also, my cousin, when he was born, my auntie was very poorly. And we both, on both sides of the family, we had these stories. Um, another thing that they got me to do, which was a little bit out there, I thought, <laughs> at the time, was imagining my own self as a baby and retracing my birth journey as a baby. And I found that all a bit, ooh, for me, that was a bit strange. But, but we, we sort of came to the end of what we did with them. And I took this journey another way, which was to go to my GP. Now, I've always had a really good relationship with my GP and um, I talked to her about it. She'd never heard of it um, because by this stage, I'd done my own research because I'd always felt alone. I'd always felt alien. Like I didn't know other women felt the way I did, but I did my own research. And since the year 2000, it has been recognised as a medical condition. And actually, the statistics are that one in six women have it, but a lot of them never voice it. And the actress Helen Mirren, Dame Helen Mirren, in 2000, um, I think it was 2017, she was quoted in an article that back in 2006 or seven, she'd voiced that the reason she's never had children is because of this same chronic debilitating fear. So I'm not alone and there, more, there are more of us. 
um, anyway, I went to my GP and I felt like a guinea pig because it wasn't known. I live in North Devon and it was as though I was the first person to come forward with this. But I think that's great because, you know, I can have started something for other people to feel that they can come forward. Anyway, my GP arranged for me to have some chats with a local midwife and I did that and that was brilliant. And she actually said to me, Emma, you're so brave. I'm sure that so many of the women that I see who are pregnant do have this fear, just in lesser degrees. And she said, you know, it's great that you can come and talk about this. Um, and then another thing that I asked for was, could I possibly see a consultant at the hospital? Although I wasn't pregnant, I wanted to talk about things from a physical point of view. Because one of the things is I'm quite a small person. Um, I've got a very small mouth. If I open my mouth, it's really small. So a lot of me is really small. And I worried that like, could I give birth? You know, was it going to be painful? Was it going to be terrible because of my size? Anyway, I, I had this appointment booked to see this consultant. And I was waiting in the waiting room and it, time was going. And eventually I went up to the front desk and um, I said, excuse me, I've got an appointment. I haven't been called. And they said, oh, well, just look. And then they said to me, oh, we're really sorry. That appointment's been cancelled. I was like, oh. They said, well, you should have had a letter. I was like, oh, okay. I, I said, I'm going to see my GP later anyway about something else. I'll ask about that. When I got home, that letter was on my doorstep or through the letterbox. I went and saw my GP and she looked up and it was because the consultant had said, I'm really sorry, I'm not gonna see this patient because it's not a physical issue. It's a mental issue. It's a mental health issue. It's not my domain. So then I was like, right, well, I'm just going to jump through every hoop I can. Let's do this. You know, this is, my this is my attitude. So I said, yeah, okay, I'll have an assessment. So I went to our local mental health assessment place and um, I had a session with a counsellor and by the end of it she said to me Emma you don't need to be here do you don't need to see me because it's not that you've got multiple issues it's one thing and I was like yeah and she said I've got an idea that might help have you ever heard of CBT? And I was like, no, but that's cognitive behavioral therapy. 
And anyway, I agreed to sign up for, I can't remember how many weeks, quite a few weeks, maybe a few months of CBT with a different therapist. And I have to say, it's not probably for everyone, but for me, it changed my life. Sorry. And, um, <laughs> I think you've done beautifully. I mean, okay. people that listen to the show will know that normally I just talk all the time and I'm just sitting here and I think you're amazing because it, you've had so many positive changes throughout. You've tried so many things and then you had this glimmer yeah. of hope that you found something to help you, but I know your journey doesn't end there. But no. Are you, are you happy for me to talk or you can ask me a question if you want? I just needed to, a breath because when I said it changed my life, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, but that's why I was so honoured to have you here today because it is an emotional story. And I know your ending, but it's just like when you're sharing just how much you've tried, I just think you're going to help so many people, but I know it's not easy to tell. But I love the fact no, no, no. that, you know, you've tried the counselling and she was like a midwife. I, I don't love a consultant. He sounds like a pig. But, <laughs> you know, you've tried so many things. And like, you know, when we have these phobias, they are debilitating. And I just think it's a fascinating story. Because like when you say you spoke to your parents, it's like, did you have a traumatic birth? So I love the fact you did like regression to find out if you had a traumatic birth or how were you as a child and things mm. like that and it's just been such a journey and I get that it is really emotional while you're probably used to telling your story to help others we all have those moments where we're being authentic yeah. we're just like oh so bless you no I just think it's amazing what you're sharing today because it is a journey and you've just tried so many things and obviously CBT was something that was you know a real turning point in your life yeah so CBT was life-changing for me. Um, it involved sort of two main bits of it, really. The first thing was exposure therapy. And the second part was just about learning to change my negative, irrational thoughts into positive and rational thoughts. Um, I was also doing some of my own self-help online with this. I found a really good Australian-based website and it's follow-up and it was all about, um, you know, mindset and particularly about retraining your thoughts and something that I got from that, which I carry forward to this day, is warpy thoughts. It, it's when you think something that isn't true. And it's an irrational thought. Um, it might be that you're magnifying something or that you're minimizing something. You know, there's those two extremes. For me, it's normally the magnification the worrying about things before they happen type of thing. And um, my husband recognises this in me and is able to help me with this along the way. And, you know, there's still times that 
even now I'm in a totally different place to where I was you know those years ago but you still have to catch a thought sometimes and think is that rational or is that a warpy thought <laughs> so yeah you know as I find that really valuable um and that was part of what my CBT was about as well. It was about rationalizing those fears. But exposure therapy was interesting because I, I, I mentioned to you earlier that, you know, I've always had a fear of, well, anything bodily, really. I always used to say, I just want to know with skin and bone. I don't want to know any of the inside out workings or no, because it makes me feel sick it makes me get that head rush. I've never fainted, but I've come close to it. Anyway, exposure therapy starts from sort of little things up to big things. So for me, it was like being able to look at a picture of a needle, being able to look in biological books, and the biggest hurdle, my aim, my goal, big goal, was to be able to watch an episode of One Born Every Minute without leaving the room, without having to pause it. And um, I got there um, and felt really good about it and was able to keep doing it. And I went on sort of challenged myself. I watched an American version, I think it's called Maternity Ward, and it's even more graphic and quite often um, triggering and emotional and sad. But I did it and I got to the point where I just realised that debilitating emotional morbid fear had gone. I don't now have that, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this. I got to a point where I could do it. So my journey continues and my husband and I, um, Obviously, we're really pleased and excited and happy that this had happened. And we began to start to try to have a family. Um, you know, I had my therapy when I was 36. I'm 43 now, just so you know. I don't mind sharing. Um, so... We, we were trying for a baby in my mid-30s, upwards, and we hit a roadblock. We fell into 10% of unexplained infertility. And um, we, we saw consultants, um, both, again, went through so many tests, couldn't find anything particularly wrong with either of us. Um, 
it's just something didn't marry up. Um, the only thing they found was that I had a slightly underactive thyroid. And um, not like it's underactive that it would affect daily life, but apparently in recent years, they found that slightly underactive thyroid can have fertility issues. So I actually started taking um, levothyroxine, which is um, a drug to help you with your thyroid levels. Um, we, we, cause we were trying for a baby for a long time. And for us, for different reasons, lots of different reasons, IVF is just off the table. We decided for emotional reasons and partly for faith reasons that we just weren't going to do that. So we were relying on natural conception. And um, anyway, after taking levothyroxine for a while, I finally became pregnant. This was back in 2017. But it wasn't the fairy tale. Um, uh, it was early on, very early on in the pregnancy. Um, I was having terrible uh, symptoms, lots of pain and um, other things happening. And um, I, I suspected I was pregnant, but I didn't know. But um, I took a test and I was pregnant. For as far as I know, the first time in my life. But I think now that I've possibly had early miscarriages before and not really known about them. Anyway, um, that was the start of a roller coaster week in my life because the ending of that week was that I had to go to hospital um, for an emergency scan um, because it was, and at that scan, they found that I didn't have a baby in my womb, but I had an unexplained mass in my fallopian tube, and it turned out to be an ectopic pregnancy of round about six to eight, possibly ten weeks. And I'm lucky to be here to tell this story today because ectopic pregnancies can be fatal. Um, mine was pre-rupture, but if I'd left it any later, I might not be able to be here telling this story. But it sadly meant that that wasn't a viable pregnancy. Ectopic pregnancies can't be re-put in the right place. So that day 
I had emergency surgery and that ended up in the removal of my fallopian tube and um, the, the, the longed for baby. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not crying sitting here. Um, it has been really, really emotional. But I've also learnt that I'm much stronger than I ever thought possible. Um, one of the things for me is control. I think to do with the fears, I've always been afraid of things out of my control. That was partly about being pregnant because it was like your body changes, something's inside you. You know, I used to feel that it was really alien and it was that whole thing about control. But the thing about having emergency surgery is it's out of your control. Yeah. And the hospital and the wonderful NHS looked after me and got me through the other side. And um, there's a funny thing that my therapist, from my cognitive behavioral therapist, um, she's now a friend actually. And um, she, she sort of could never be my therapist again because we're a, a friend. But she's had two children and um, we had, she had a little joke with me. You know, it's, you can have a little joke. And when she'd found out I'd been through my ectopic, when I saw her, she said, Emma, when we used to say, face your fears and, you know, hospital and all this, she said, I didn't mean do it all at once. <laughs> but, you know, it was amazing that I've almost lived my, I have, I've lived that worst nightmare that I used to have. And I'm still here. Um, you know, I, my faith is really important to me. And I will just, can I just share a little bit about that um, around yeah. my pregnancy? Yeah, because um, I do believe, I mean, I'm know, not Christian, but I do always tell people that I think you should believe in something in life, whether it's yourself or a faith. So no, please do share. Yeah. So, you know, um, my favourite Bible verse um, has always been something from the Old Testament, from Jeremiah, and it's very famous. It's Jeremiah 29, 11, and um, it's where God says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper and not to harm you. And I've always held on to that. And I truly believe that, you know, God cares for me, God looks out for me. And my testimony for my ectopic experience is that in the week leading up to my pregnancy I'd kind of forgotten about it but I'd signed up to something through um, 
a Christian uh, website, which was called 10 Days of Grace. And it was where they delivered a uh, encouraging Bible verse to your phone at midday for a whole 10 day period. And I'd started this like a few days before I found out I was pregnant. And when I was in the hospital, awaiting to see a doctor, I was there with my mum and my phone went beep beep. And I had it with me and I looked down and it said, this was the verse for the day. It said, peace I give you, not, not the world's peace, but my peace. Do not be troubled. Do not be afraid. Do not, do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. I just looked at my mum. I had tears in my eyes. And I said, it's all right. He's got me. And I know that was generic for so many people who signed up to it that week. But I believe in that moment that that was for me. Yeah. And I just felt whatever happens, I know it's going to be all right. And um, I think something I just want to sort of end with really um, is how I think it's really important to be vulnerable, to be able to share with other people your journey and to be honest about things. And um, again, ek topics are quite rare, but not that rare. It's actually one in 80 pregnancies. I'd never heard of them until it happened to me but since it happened my husband and I have been really open and honest and we share our story with people and it's got people coming out almost of the woodwork and sharing their stories that they've never shared with anyone before and feeling that they can one of the sort of funnier things that I found was because we were quite open about this in our church, it, the, the knock-on effect for me was that some of the older gentlemen in our church would come and talk to me about some of their health ailments and some of their almost deep-seated worries and things. And just that whole thing about how we can be there for each other is amazing. And, you know, that's partly why I wanted to take up this opportunity, Shelley. Thank you so much for um, inviting me here to share this story. Um, because my dream is that it will help other people um, to feel that they're not alone. And you know, that people can understand them. Um, and even if we haven't got the same experiences, in humanity, you know, we all go through things 
and we can be there for one another. Um, so, yeah, um, we're still trying for a baby. Um, and we may still adopt. I'm finding the whole thing of getting to that cutoff point really, really hard, really difficult yeah. as a woman. Because I've still got hope, you know. Um, I had some tests done not that long ago that showed that my egg reserve is still very good. It's not optimum because I'm not young, but, but it's still good. And there's hope. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's hard. It's been hard. It continues to be hard. Um, but my attitude is, it is what it is. I can't change it. I can keep moving forward. And um, I've been so blessed as a teacher um, to be able to have so many children and young people in my life and to feel that I've hopefully been an influence, a positive influence in their lives. Um, you know, I believe that's part of my legacy. Um, and I always feel that I've been put here on this earth to be an encourager. And that's what I aim to do. Bless you. I don't think I've ever been so quiet on an interview, Emma. You've just touched my very soul. I just, I'm going to go off there and cry. And that's all right. Um, <laughs> it's just a virtual hug. Bless you. I mean, I do have four children but it has been messy. But as you said earlier about the tocophobia, about everyone, you know, so many of us have this fear, you know, even the people that are pregnant, they fear the labor, but I just think people aren't speaking about it and bless you, your story, your journey, your sacred life. is just so multifaceted that you've got the tocophobia, the ectopic. I just love how you kind of feel the fear and do it anyway. Like the CBT, we know is a life-changing event for you. The exposure therapy, bless you. I can't watch one born every minute. You know, the warpy thoughts to then finally be blessed and fall pregnant for it not to be like that. The fact you're still trying, you're unwavering faith. You're just going to help so many people. But I honestly, the word thank you doesn't begin to cover what I want to say to you, but just your courage. I mean, normally we have people on and they tell their story and then they live happily ever after. And I truly hope you do, but you've joined us in the midst of your journey, hopefully towards the end of your happy ending. And it's you're just your authenticity, your courage. I just love you from the very bottom of my heart. I truly do. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review. If you would like to create your own positive changes, you can buy Positive Changes, a self-kick book from all online book retailers or from ShellyFKnight.com. If you need a dollop of positivity until the next episode, come like and follow us over on Facebook at Shelley F. Knight, Life Goes On. 
As always, I've been Shelley F. Knight and you've been amazing. <laughs>